Hi. Welcome to Prefer Not To, a weekly, sometime, cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Kate Matthews and Joshua Lucas. As I'm sure she is delighted to hear today, as most other days. I am not Kate. Only most. Every week, not Kate and not Josh. Get together and have a cocktail that we haven't had and maybe watch a movie and talk about things and then we upload it to Intertube. That's mm-hmm. how that works. And 11 people accidentally listen to it. Yep. What are we drinking for those 11 people today and what did we watch for those 11 people? We are having Godfathers and we watched Beyond the Poseidon Adventure from 1979 starring Michael Caine, Sally Field, Telly Svalis, Peter Boyle, young Mark Harmon. A lot of people. Uh, sh- sh- uh, All the Shirley Shirley's. Knight, Shirley Jones. <laughs> All the Shirley's. Not Shelley Winters, though. Yeah, no, because <laughs> she was in the last one. And she's still on the boat, <laughs> presumably. Oh, that is true. Her <laughs> her bloated and fish-pecked corpse is still. Still in that engine room. In that room where she was swimming, yeah. Oh, no, wait, she had a heart attack after that, right? Yeah, yeah. That was kind of mean of the movie. A little bit. All right. So, tell us about The Godfather. What's in it? Uh, The Godfather is equal parts of scotch and amaretto poured over ice and stirred slightly. All right. And I'd love to hear about the story about that cocktail. I really would. But I have to do our standard disclaimers. Okay. Standard disclaimer number one. Neither Kate nor I knows shit about cocktails or movies. So, if you've come here looking for people who know anything about what they're talking about, you've come to the wrong place. (laughs) Standard disclaimer number two, alcoholism is a very serious condition. Not unlike scarlet fever or ophthalmia neonatorum. What? All right, all right. If you had either of those, you'd go see a physician or a professional. Well, you wouldn't because if you were a baby. You'd be a baby if you had at least one of them. Oh, is the second one only for babies? But if you have alcoholism, you should also go see a physician or a professional. Scarlet fever, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm intimately equated with scarlet fever. Did you have it? Yeah. Huh. I thought My we talked did. about this on the show before. We may. I don't listen to the shit you say. <laughs> yeah, it was the uh, the morning of my friend's bar mitzvah. It was a Saturday, mm-hmm. and uh, I woke up at like mm-hmm. 5 a.m. with the worst sore throat I've ever had. Chills, like total fever. But I didn't want to wake anybody up. I don't know why. So I just laid there in silence and crying, like, to myself until my mom got up and felt me and was like, holy crap, you're burning up. And then uh, about a day later, the the spots showed up, the rash showed up on Mm -hmm. my chest. I was always jealous of my Jewish friends because I got to drink on their bar mitzvah. (laughs) No, really. Like, that's, you know, my friend friend at the time, Jeremy, uh, had this long story about his bar mitzvah and drinking alcohol. I just thought that that was so terribly, terribly cool. I missed it. Yeah. I've drunk enough to make up for it since then. Yep. No, ophthalmia neonatorum is, uh, you know, they used to put silver nitrate in babies' eyes because of uh, the transmission of, uh, the possible transmission of uh, gonorrhea. And it's a very particular uh, eye infection that babies can get. So they used to take silver nitrate and put it from the mother. Oh, okay. So this is only if the mother has gonorrhea. Well, no, they did it to everybody because they didn't want to ask. Uh, and they still do it to everybody, but instead of using silver nitrate, they use erythromycin drops. So in. what happens with the silver nitrate? What do you mean what happens with is, it? Is there something that causes Well, it would, kill the, it would kill the... No, I meant, like, is this 
condition the result of using specifically silver no, this, nitrate? No, this condition is what the silver nitrate was treating. Oh. A baby would be born and they would put all, put the drops in all babies' eyes to guard against. Uh, gonorrhea eye. Right. Uh, I think it was gonorrhea. It was some sort of. I uh, gonorrhea. No, there's no way. I was trying to make uh, a pun. And uh, as you can see from the picture on Wikipedia, it was pretty gross. That is pretty gross. It's untreated. So, um, Don't you love looking up random medical problems and being consistently disgusted by what you see? But since silver nitrate is mildly toxic uh, and very toxic in large amounts, they decided eventually this, once we had antibiotics to switch over to that. So why did you choose these two diseases today? I'm, I'm racking my brain and... I don't know, man. The best I've got is... There's only, there's only like 15 diseases out there in the world. I got I to gotta keep repackaging them. The only thing I can guess is that uh, gonorrhea... I don't I don't know. I, yeah, I'm at a loss. I was thinking that maybe the people in Beyond the Poseidon Adventure could catch gonorrhea in the water, but then I realized that was dumb. Yeah, no. I, I think I just was... It has nothing to do with this movie. This movie... Uh, Whoa. Two eye-related conditions. Scarlet fever can make you go blind, bro. That's true. And there is a blind fella in the movie. So there you go. There we go. That explains it. I guess. Retroactively. No, this movie just took a lot out of me. Yeah. So tell me about The Godfather. What's the uh, history? Besides being a movie I would much rather have watched than Beyond the, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. So um, scotch, scotch and amaretto, it's served in equal proportion over ice, but people can do it uh, in different proportions. Some people prefer to like uh, lessen up on the amaretto and make it a little bit more scotchy and the other way around. How's it taste, Josh? Did you stir it? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, it tastes okay. It tastes like amaretto and scotch, which isn't a bad combination. I recognize that I say that every week, but that's what it tastes like. It really does. Okay, so... You're making a face. I'm just not getting much amaretto. Getting more scotch. You like scotch. Well, yeah, but... All right. So the drink has a few origin stories. The first is very simple, that this was apparently Marlon Brando's favorite cocktail. And so after... So this is a recent drink. Mm, yes. So and you're so, running out of like actual historical cocktails to do, and we're just like doing shit that they made up for the variety in, in 1977, right? No, this is actually a drink that has been on the is part of the International Association. Yeah, of those guys, like, you can slip them a fiver, and they'll put your stupid drink on there. So the first is um, anyway. So it was Marlon Brando's. Apparently, it was his favorite cocktail. That's what DiSorono says. DiSorono is one of the world's foremost producers of amaretto, mm-hmm. and so it was given the name as the Godfather for tribute. It could also be named after the film itself because the drink gained popularity in the 1970s. It seems more likely to me, however, that its popularity Wait, just because the drink gained popularity in the 70s, they named it after him. I mean, we don't have like a you know. Let I'll take a Close Encounters on the Rocks. Let me finish. Okay. It seems more likely, however, that the popularity is due to the unavailability of amaretto liquor in the United States until the late 1960s, when it gradually entered into American cuisine. Uh, coupled with the fact that this is an Italian liqueur of and the popularity of the movie and the Marlon Brando connection, it's mm-hmm. probably a mix of everything. And did you know that National Amaretto Day is April 19th? I do now. <laughs> Variations of the drink include the godmother, which is equal parts amaretto and vodka, and the godchild with equal parts amaretto and cream, which sounds disgusting. And the godbaby, equal parts amaretto and infamil. Yep. Breast milk. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so rare, because you got to find a mom who's willing to give you her breast milk. 
The Godfather is also related to the Rusty Nail, which is another Scotch-based cocktail. However, I found uh, the the cocktail itself is kind of boring, but I found the history of amaretto as a liqueur way more interesting. Lay it on me, sister. So the name comes from the Italian for a little bitter, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that it's very sweet, with production dating back to the Renaissance um, in Italy. Of course, like I said, it was only made available in the United States in the 1960s. Was this because of, like, trade restrictions and such i couldn't find out why it's just they didn't start distributing it in the united states until then um but then when they did it became vastly vastly popular especially because you can use it in cooking um especially making like cookies and stuff anyway so rumor has it that the artist bernardino luini who was one of da vinci's pupils oh hey it wasn't gonorrhea it was chlamydia why is chlamydia in the eyes of these babies do I need to explain no, to you how the baby just, gets out? I just don't understand why they wouldn't ask the mom and figure it out instead of giving. And if it you to walk every... through a bar, you're going to smell like smoke. Okay. Baby comes out, going to, you know, drag Not some chlamydia like with chlamydia. it. <laughs> the artist Bernardino Luini, who is one of Da Vinci's uh, students, was commissioned to paint choir frescoes in the church, the Madonna dei Miracoli, because it was dedicated. To the Virgin Mary, he needed to have a couple of scenes from her life, and he needed a model for the Virgin Mary and couldn't find one. But he apparently used a local widow who was at the inn and uh, may have become his lover throughout Ooh. this process. Being um and used it's her a nice gig, <laughs> painting churches, yeah, being, being like Leonardo's understudy. So like you know people well, don't like they know if they question what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go talk to the boss anyway. So, like, you could paint, like, you know, just stick figures and be like, what? That's what Le- that's- Leo's doing that these days. Yeah. That's, I think this is after he left the all the folks in nest. Florence. Look, I now understand out here in Hicktown, you don't get a lot of stick paintings. But in Florence, they're all the rage. Um, It's funny because for a long time, a lot of his works are, were confused for Leonardo's mm-hmm. and vice versa. So there's been a lot of misappropriation saying, oh, this was it's a It's like da the Vinci. Beatles and the Dave Clark Five. Y- yes. Sure. Being poor, the only thing that uh, this widow could gift him in gratitude was- It's like that Cat Stevens song, Fire and Rain. Yes. It's exactly like that. Um, being poor, the only thing that she could give him to mm-hmm. say thank you for his penis, apparently- was a batch of almonds steeped in brandy. And that is where amaretto comes from. I can see that. I like amaretto. I actually, this cocktail, um, you know, the first the first mouth is sort of a weird mix. But mm-hmm. I think if you, you get farther down in it and uh, it gets better, gets tastier. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. It's definitely an after-dinner cocktail, don't you think? Well, that's amaretto. Yeah. You know. Or a before dinner. Or a not or a substitute for dinner. Fuck if I Well, yeah. Like I said, I don't know shit about anything. Hey, did we watch a movie? We did indeed. Yeah, so what did we watch? We watched 1979's Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Why don't you tell us about this movie, Kate? Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. So if it is Beyond the Poseidon, what, what I'm given then is in then this is uh, the afternoon after the morning after, which there has got to be. <laughs> which the, apparently, I did want to make a comment that this is a sequel to The Poseidon Adventure from 1972. And, and which now, we, on a which previous we show, discussed. Watched. But now we know for sure, Josh, that there will be a morning after. It just might involve being stuck with Telly Savalas on a drowning cruise ship. Yes, so. in, in full full Ernst Stavro Blofeld mode. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what was going on there. 
Anyway. Uh, Near as I can tell. And again, I was this, as I said, this movie took a lot out of me. But Beyond the Poseidon Adventure is essentially he's, he's the story too much, of. Guys. Uh, he's, he's, each movie's drained push, a little bit more. I'm not even fucking soul. joking, Kate. Uh, you know, there's only so much fucking time in my life, and I'm sitting here watching shitty movies, and I'm sacrificing my life. Um, I am an old man, and my clock is running down, for, and I'm watching beside, Beyond the Poseidon. Okay, Adventure. first of all, you're like 41. You're not like 85 watching I'm Beyond, 40. Beyond the Poseidon. Adventure. Not even 41. I'm rounding up to August. Fuck off. And it's not like you're 85 sitting around watching shitty movies instead of like you know buying Camaros or whatever it is that you would want to do. So calm down. You know why we do it, Josh? We do it for those 11 people. We do it for those 11 people and because we like to make them laugh. And you know how many cool people we've met? We, do we have names? Maybe if they had names. You mean like makeup names? Like right, Stephen Jefferson. Right, I can picture in my head of the 11 people. Okay, so you know? number one is Stephen Jefferson. Well, this is besides the people that we know accidentally listen to the show every week. Okay, I know. Okay. So See. if you are one of those people who accidentally, who we know, who uh, through some <laughs> dint of the ionosphere has accidentally contacted us. So number one is uh, Steve. Do you see what this movie did to me? I I think that you're maybe giving the movie too much credit because it was bad, but it it to me it's not the worst movie that we've watched, and it's also no, it's just the latest movie that we watched. Right, but you hadn't seen it before, right? No. And you're always saying that we need to watch new movies, so I mean good movies. But you never know until you watch it. This could have been wonderful. You don't know. I mean, it wasn't, but okay. I don't need to open up the can of shit to make sure it's not Nutella. I'm going to take somebody's word for it. Well, you clearly didn't, so joke's on you. Boom! I know. Anywho. So this is essentially a movie about how the French government, once roughly ten people are rescued from a sinking vessel... Oh, it's less than that. ...will we'll decide that there is no need to do any more salvage or rescue work following the rescue of eight or so people so, from a sinking vessel, as not- as happened at the end of... The first Poseidon Adventure. So in the original Poseidon Adventure, it's a cruise ship around uh, Christmas and New Year's. It's on New Year's Eve. It's on New Year's Eve. A giant freak tidal wave comes and turns over the boat. Killing Leslie Nielsen. Killing pretty much everyone. And it's also flooding. So the people have to go up through the boat in an upside down, ticky-tacky kind of way. A band of survivors and they eventually get out. They're rescued at the end. Well, not all of them, but Gene Hackman makes it out with his uh, his ripped. No, he died. Oh, yeah, he did die. You're right. Sorry. All right, well, Gene Hackman and his ripped mock turtleneck. Ernest Borgnine makes it out. Don't make it out. Ernest Borgnine makes it out. So, whew, ladies, we can all be self-assured. And so this presumably takes place the day after or Well, you know, the movie starts. uh, The movie starts and Michael Caine is a tugboat uh, (laughs) slash salvage captain. Uh, Ship was in the Mediterranean, right? Yeah, it's off the coast of Algeria, I think is is what the movie means. Uh, and, tugboat Jenny. Right. The Jenny is caught in the same storm that capsized oh, the Oh, yeah, so it was like the day after. Right, so it's the day of. So these are concurrent events. It is, if you will, a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. To Hamlet. To the Hamlet of the Poseidon Adventure. Um, so Okay, I'll bite. <laughs> uh, Captain, what is his name? Like Mike Jones or something like that? Uh. I don't know Michael Caine, Captain Michael Caine. We gotta start. We gotta start using actual character names because people hate it when we use the actor names. Captain Mike Turner, Mike Turner, and you can see why I can't remember that fucking name. Because uh, so he's on the Jenny, and he's on, and by on the Jenny, 
I mean, he is on a uh, gimbaled soundstage boat that I am not 100% certain was not repurposed from the opening credits of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> like, really, that's what that's what those are the production values that we're talking about for the scenes in which he's on a tugboat. Like, it is very obviously a soundstage with just, like, people rocking this boat back and forth and throwing buckets of water yeah. up on him and his first mate, Carl Malden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his nose. Yeah, whose nose Kate was unfamiliar with. And then uh, a girl that Carl Malden had picked up in the bar the night before because she was punching people in the nuts, mm-hmm. Sally Field. She's spunky. She's Sally Field. Right, except she's terrible at everything. She's a klutz. And so Michael Caine starts calling her a whore and a monkey. He didn't call her a whore, did he? Yeah, he, he did. When? He says, because, you know, we we got plenty of girls back at the hotel where that woman, he, he makes some comment about how essentially she's a prostitute. But he also compares her to the, a monkey, a pet monkey that apparently Carl Malden's character once had. Anyhow, so they're caught in the same storm. They lose their cargo in the storm. So they're... And- so they are bereft of cargo, and they just happen to... Uh, Light upon the recently capsized remains of the Poseidon. Um, so it is also revealed that Michael Caine's character, Captain Turner, has a huge mortgage on the boat that he can't. The, the, the fucking boat might as well be called the SS plot. The so uh, plot like explanation. The second they land, just, the bank's going right. to repossess it. Well, they, 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 yeah, they get on the boat, and Michael Caine is like, "I need to pay for this boat. Check that fucking off the list of reasons why he would want to go into a so, capsizing ship." Well, Carl Malden is like. Uh, I got six months to retirement or something. And Sally feels like, uh, you know, I got to buy a house in France, some shit like that. So it's a salvage operation. They go into the boat. Uh, While they're landing, another boat lands next to them, which has Telly Savalas on it, who Mm. is posing as like a... He's got a sort of nautical slash Tom Wolf slash Blofeld look. Captain Clink. (laughs) Going on, well, he always has a certain clink, a certain Werner Klemperness uh, to him. But um, and he's got some mustachioed henchmen with machine guns, and uh, they both sort of land on. And this is the point at which, uh, like, so they land on the overturned hull of uh, the SS Poseidon with the little hole that you may remember at the end of the last movie. Uh, the survivors, whoever they were, I don't even remember who the fucking lived. Ernest Borgnine lived, and uh, uh, Roddy McDowell died, and uh, the singer lived. Oh uh, yeah, Carol Lindley lived. The cute couple lived. Right. Um, but there's like, so this is a massive cruise liner that has supposedly just recently uh, been lost in a storm. Although the sea is remarkably calm, it was a quick storm. Fr- fr- French, uh, fr- a French naval frogmen have come and rescued m- folks from the boat. The, the eight people. And in the time that it takes uh, Michael Caine to spot the boat, the entire presence of the government or any rescue forces or anyone like cordoning it off or saying, you know, there's like a ship here that, with leaking oil. There might be people in the damn boat besides these eight yeah. people who we happened to helicopter out. Uh did nothing. It's just a they, completely abandoned boat within the span of an hour. Yeah, they take for granted that apparently only like eight people made it out of the boat, and they don't bother to look for any or recover the bodies of any of the other people. Or, or you know, just the, you have a ship which is full of like explodey shit, and uh, well, you as know. we find out, right? Exactly. <laughs> so anyhow, Kate 
please uh, detail us. So they enter into the ship about as soon as they all get down there. Uh, Telly Savalas tells uh, Captain Turner's crew that they want they're going to go their separate ways for some reason. No, 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 they're going together first. Yeah, and then their their uh, path out is blocked off by an explosion in the ship that. Right, they're going down to look for to do salvage to mm-hmm. say you know this. These ships have all sorts of gold and stuff in the purser's office that 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 now is salvaged since the ship in the past hour has yeah. been uh, declared well, that's salvageable. That's why I thought for a long time while we were watching it that the movie itself might have been a couple of days after. Except then, when you meet all the spoilers, when you meet the other survivors on the ship, like it right. becomes it's clear like it just that happened. It, it becomes clear that the ship turned over like was last night. Right. So then they go down and then they sort of retrace some of the steps that you may remember from the end of the previous movie. If for some god awful reason you have committed the end of the previous movie to memory, they go down this tunnel where you may recall Roddy McDowell drowning. And as they are going down that shaft, yeah. yeah, the shaft of, of Doom McDowell. Um, <laughs> hey, oh. Yeah, and again, uh, their their egress is blocked off by a, a fa- falling piece of metal. And again, I, I can't stress to you enough, like the uh, whatever, like everything in this movie, Kate, is just people saying, like asserting the plot. Mm-hmm. Like that's what pissed me off. It's just Michael Caine, you know, just says there's got to be this, and so there has to be this. There's got to be an exit door. There's got to be this. There's got to be that. There's no. It is the. There's no telling, and it's all showing in this movie. So anyhow, they're trying to make their way to the purser's office, and. Uh, they get there. They get there, and uh, uh, when it, is is the gripping uh, whole set piece before or after they get to the purser's office? There's a period at, at which, and Kate, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. they spend uh, like oh, all of Wednesday before. and half of that's Thursday. Because uh, the chick in the black dress is It's still a good with 48 them. to 72 hours that they spend uh, in which nine people, hole. and we have to see every single one of them, jump over a hole. Uh, and it's what, like an eight foot hole in uh, the hallway? Not even. And but in the floor, we get all of the gripping suspense of seeing every single one of them, including uh, the passengers that they have recently picked up, who are uh, Peter Boyle, who plays a uh, Italian stereotype slash. He looked like a lounge singer, but I think he was just a guy. Yeah. And and his daughter. His daughter. And uh, Veronica Hamill of uh, Hill Street Blues, who you may remember, and. Uh, Looking very uh, femme fatale, femme fatale, and uh, they hadn't picked up uh, Slim uh, Slim Pickens at this oh, point, God. right? <laughs> I forgot. No, uh, or, or and they'd picked up Mark Harmon, <laughs> very blocked, very young Mark Harmon. I blocked. I blocked Slim Pickens out of my who favorite. is besotted with uh, Peter Boyle's daughter. Who there's been tension between Peter Boyle and Michael Caine about going to rescue his daughter. So the gang's all here, with the exception of uh, Slim Whitman. Not Slim Whitman. Slim Whitman. Slim Pickens. Yeah. So they all jump over the hole. They end up in the purser's they, office. They all That's... make it, except except at the when Telly Savalas is going to be the last one to jump over, he turns around and goes the other way for reasons that are not immediately says, explained to he us. He says, hey, we'll split up. We'll cover more ground that way or something like well, no, that. No, he just leaves. Yeah. No, he, he has a conversation with Michael Caine. He no, no, says, no. hey, we're going to go this way. No, a no, he says that initially and then doesn't. But then when they're jumping over the thing, everybody else has gone off and he's like, I'm not going to jump. Oh. And then he goes. Okay, Whatever. so they they he get separated. The That's the point. They get to the purser's office. They find the gold, the gold and jewelry and diamonds, 
And uh, and Veronica Hamill suspiciously separates herself from the group and goes and looks, starts looking through the ship records. Yeah, so she grabs some, and while everyone else is collecting their jewels and little uh, sandbags and then finding their way out, she disappears and goes to find Tully Sfalis. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, we've picked up Shirley Jones at this point. Yeah, we've picked up uh, Shirley Jones, who's the bl- blind guy's wife, right? Shirley yeah. Jones is a ship nurse. Oh, she's the ship nurse. Okay. Right. And then Shirley Knight is the blind guy's wife. Right. Okay. So we haven't picked them up yet, though. Because oh. now we're in the we, we we then we make our way to the and again this movie is just a succession of people walking down catwalks and hallways with no suspense whatsoever, like just walking over pipes and through catwalks and picking up random people. So then they walk down a hall and they pick up Slim Pickens who is pretending to be a Texan billionaire, but spoilers, by the end of the movie, we find out he is, in fact, just the assistant wine steward, who becomes obsessed with carrying off of the boat an especially vintage bottle of wine uh, from, you know, whatever, forever ago. And then a little bit farther they go, and they find Jack Warden and Shirley Knight, who are blind guy and blind guy's wife. Playing the... uh... You know, substituting for uh, for Shelley Winters and, and her, uh, her husband, husband uh, the Jewersons, <laughs> Mor- Mordecai, Mordecai and, and Sarah Goldenstein, uh, <laughs> in the previous movie. Pretty much, they were basically the exact same thing. One thing that I wanted to mention, like, so they keep going throughout the boat, but they don't see any other like no bodies, see, no dead people, right? No bodies, no yeah. So uh, also along the way, we find and out I'm, that Jack Warden is, I mean, not Jack Warden, Carl Malden is. Terminally ill of With an un- unspecified disease. No, he doesn't say the cancer. That's the thing. <laughs> this is the part that I thought was the funniest thing in the whole movie was he has this conversation with Michael Caine about, and Michael Caine says something to him along the lines of, you don't have to be strong for me. I know you've been seeing that doctor, that secret special doctor that you've been seeing. And Carl Martin says, what's his name? And Michael Caine gives him the name. He's like, Dr. Green or something. He says, yeah, well, you, then you know the real story. And Michael Caine says, look, once we get all this money, we'll have enough to pay for an operation for you. And it's clear that they mean that he has some terminal disease, but it really reads as though Carl Malden needs to have sex reassignment surgery. <laughs> like, you could substitute this dialogue for, like, Al Pacino's dialogue in Dog, Dog Day, Day Afternoon, Afternoon. Yeah. and it would be basically the same thing. And they never actually say that he has cancer, so it, it's it, it may very well be that Carl Malden <laughs> is going to kill himself if he doesn't get his sex changed, which is how I prefer to see this movie, because <laughs> I would I'm just picturing Carl forced, Malden as a, as a girl. They're forced to rob the wreckage of a ship so that someone right. can get there. Well, yeah, it's basically the Dog Day yeah, Afternoon Exactly, plot. exactly. Um, all right, so they, they keep going throughout, and, and, you know, they... Well, meanwhile, Veronica Hamill has hooked up with Telly Savalas mm-hmm. and has given her the, him the records to the ship, and he says, good, this will take me exactly the, to where I need to go. It was the... Was it the passenger manifest? It, it was, was a cargo storage, manifest. A cargo manifest. This will take me exactly where I need to go, and I will be able to get that thing that I need to get, that very specific thing that I need to get that I am not going to name right now. And then Veronica Hamill says, I'm not going to go along with you. I can't I can't be a part of this thing that you're doing, this mystery thing. I Despite can't. Despite the fact that she just separated right. herself from the group. And jumped back over the dangerous hole. In a long black dress, by the way. Um, so Telly Savalas someone felt then, the need to slit because it gave her more room. I do Telly Savalas then orders a henchman to kill her. Yeah. Uh, he shoots her. And, but then she axes him with an axe. Yeah, she does. So she's shot. Axe she, man is dead. So we've had our first fatalities. Um, so here's something I didn't understand about the girl. Also, on the by the inside. way, uh, this whole time Sally Field is just making like really annoying, supposedly daffy and cute comments, but they're really just like, "I used to be a discus in college. I used to do discus, and that's why I'm an athlete." And it's like 
Well, I ran track in college. This movie made me hate Sally Field. Do you understand oh. how powerful a movie has to be to make a human hate Sally Field? I didn't Sally hate Field. Sally Field. I, I hated, hated, Sally I hated Field. the movie. I wanted to punch the living fuck out of Sally Field. <laughs> but she looks so cute, though. <sighs> anyway, so let's go back to Telly Savalas's girl on the inside, Veronica Hamill. Okay, A, how did she know that he would be there? B, did Telly Savalas know that the boat was going to capsize? Because they clearly knew each other and prearranged some Right, kind I don't of understand what, right, why she was already on the boat, like, but was also sort of part of this. His whole heist makes gonna, no sense. No, no, unless they were going to meet when the ship got there and he was going to heist the Okay, the so thing. we have to, there's a big reveal at the end of the movie that once it reveals the the details of Telly Savalas's Hans Gruber style plot to recover his goods make no fucking sense once you try to piece them together retroactively. Which I did this morning while I was thinking about what we were going right. to talk about. And I was like, wait, what? Storms a storm in us. Storms are brewing. So it, it, suffice it to say that Telly Savalas has very important cargo that he needs to recover from this capsized uh, vessel. Yeah, I can only assume that, like... It's plutonium. It's plutonium. He's some sort of international terrorist. It's plutonium. Because he's Blofeld, and he has plutonium. Which, by the way, I was not aware that you could just ship plutonium well, on you, it was a, different a time. cruise ship. <laughs> it was a different time. It was 1970, uh, 1979. It was more than a different time, yes. <laughs> um, it was the time when Michael Caine was a, a sex symbol, apparently. Um, anyway, so they, you know, and, and if it sounds like we're kind of muddled, it's because they walk around for a really long time and people just slowly get cut off or there's like a random explosion that strikes someone down, like Peter it's, Boyle. This movie is just dull. So they, eventually the whole gang of good guys, like Telly Savalas makes his way to the cargo hold and is like rummaging around in the cargo hold. The gang makes their way down and... Along the way, they mention all of their stupid arcs that they're supposed to have. Like, Peter Boyle doesn't like his daughter dating boys. And uh, Shirley Knight's husband, Jack Warden, is blind, although I'm not even sure that's an arc. And, uh, <laughs> and Slim yeah. Pickens likes wine. And he's trying to get off the boat. And Carl and, Malden needs a sex change. Yeah. So the point is, they don't all make it. But there's no, like, events <laughs> to spur it on. They're just, like, talking. So then eventually, good guys get to the fucking cargo hold. Telly Savalas reveals that it's plutonium. So, Kate, let me ask you this. If you if you were in a cargo hold mm-hmm. uh, and someone had just revealed to you that there was a uh, thin metal yellow drum barrel yeah. containing deadly plutonium. A yellow barrel with a radioactive su- symbol on it, just yeah. in case. Well, I'm going to give you a multiple choice. Would okay. you A, enter a gun battle, B, not enter a gun battle? Is there a C? No. Um, I'm going to go with enter a gun battle. Well, you did what the idiot characters in this movie did okay. also, which was start firing off machine guns around this plutonium that Telly Savalas assures them would kill them all if it were opened up. Because uh, it's like that stuff in the rock that once you, like, plutonium, that's not how plutonium works. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's highly radio- radioactive. That's but not going to kill you right like, then. instantaneously. No. You're going to, like, your skin's going to slough off. I mean, if it like, aerosolized you... and you breathed it in, then yes. Well, yeah, but, like, um, you know, your skin's just going to slough off and you have not. horrible boils. I'm not a physicist. The fuck I know. But anyhow, Mark and Mark Harmon and Peter Boyle bond over machine gunning dangerously close to a oil drum full of radioactive Isotopes. Peter Boyle gets shot. Peter Boyle, his arc over because he has learned to accept his daughter dating Mark Harmon, is okay to die, so he does. Uh, Mark Harmon makes it out toward and back to the group. Um, then they're they all make their trying uh, scurry up a hole to the top of the boat. 
uh, to along, get out. Along the way, one of the Shirley's pulls a rotting McDowell, and uh, she dislocated her shoulder at some point. Yeah, I honestly don't remember if it was Shirley Knight or Shirley Jones. It wasn't. It wasn't it the was, nurse. It was Shirley Knight then. So Shirley Knight has a dislocated shoulder, and she's in a sling, even though it's been popped back in. And she's climbing. They find themselves in a very similar tube of rapidly filling up of water. water filling up. They have to. All single file climb this 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 giant ladder, and then much like Roddy McDowell in the first one, there's like a tremor or something. Whatever. They all climb up. They get on the top of the boat. Telly Savalas has gotten out. He's over on the top of the boat. Uh, then the the fucking they get over to the Jenny uh, Michael Caine Michael that's right Michael Caine and uh, Sally Field get a scuba tank because there's only two scuba tanks yeah they have to scuba their they way scuba out of the over Carl uh, Malden knows he's gonna die so he sacrifices himself well, in some all, way they all have to scuba over right. and so he scuba over right so they have he to share yeah they scuba over they start shooting at Telly shoot up Telly Savalas and his henchmen they try and swim across everybody swims across except for uh, Slim Pickens who drinks his wine on the way down. He died? Uh, yeah, he got shot in the back, remember? Oh. Yeah, by, How did he by get Tully Savalas Benjamin. I don't know. Maybe I'm he just, just went down drinking the wine. I don't know. I'm just saying that if it was... He just kept saying, like, I'm not going to die without drinking this wine. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So then they get to the boat. Sally Field has, has secretly smuggled out a diamond uh, with her. In her cleavage. In her cleavage. <laughs> and uh, because it's the 70s, Michael Caine and Sally Field make out. Um, and then he's going to buy his boat. And, that's and there's the, the morning movie. after. Maybe. We don't know. Yeah. Another morning after. We don't yeah. know. Why don't we just do like the Brussels Sprouts podcast in Esperanto? We could do that. Yeah. Let's see what happens. We have a very probably, good niche audience. Yeah. I don't know. So, Kate, if this shitty fucking movie were a beverage, what shitty fucking beverage would it be? Um. So, Josh, as we discussed, this is uh, another disaster porn movie. Mm-hmm. In terms, maybe we should just have a podcast about disaster movies. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> this is Irving Alley movie. Um, it was a long line. It was a sequel to The Poseidon Adventure. This is after all the airports. Um, came mm-hmm. out the, sa- the same year as The Concord. This is the wrath of God of this <laughs> fucking movie. <laughs> the thunder is for effect. <laughs> um, so to me, because this movie is like in a long line and it's like something everybody else is doing, you know, and, you know, you, you saw the original Poseidon Adventure and you kind of liked it. And then after, you know, years have gone by, you're like, OK, I'd, I'd do that again. So you go to see it. It's like drinking like any kind of college shitty like Jaeger or like mm-hmm. Jaeger bombs where you're like, well, it worked out OK that one time. It was all right. I tried it with my friends. Mm-hmm. I'll try it again. And then as an adult, like at 30, you do a Jaeger bomb at your friend's wedding and you're like, Jesus Christ. No, this is terrible. OK. I was just going to say it's uh, boring and full of water. So it's Michelob Ultra. <laughs> all right. That works. Yeah. So, Kate, if the Godfather and you're precluded from naming the Godfather, the Godfather, yeah. Godfather 2, Godfather Part 3, Jane Austen's Mafia, exclamation point, starring Jay Moore, uh, or for some reason, 12 Angry Men. You can't name any of those. Okay. So if it were a movie that is not one of those, what would it be? So I was going to say it's something like a movie that pretends to be classic but is ultimately just a comfort. Like, you can't, like, you you pretend that you, you know, you don't pretend you love this movie, but you pretend that it's not a guilty pleasure, like something that you just watch okay. because whatever. So to me, it'd be something like, you know that movie uh, with Deborah Carr and um, 
King Solomon's Mines, mm-hmm. where it kind of like pretends to be like a classic like movie, and it is because it's from like the 1950s. But ultimately, it's, but it's not really remembered, to, mm-hmm. and it's a callback to something else, mm-hmm. and that you also just watch it because you like watching Deborah Carr. So you're saying it's like a fake nostalgia-type drink. It is yeah. the grease of beverages. Uh, yeah. I, well, I, I didn't say grease, but... I'm going to say grease. Oh, I'm going to say it's a fake nostalgia beverage. Why don't you come up with your own originality? Huh? Well, because I, I had another idea, but I actually like yours better. So I'm going to well, go grease. You're going to go King Solomon's Mines. Although I do love that movie. But I won't pretend that it's good. I thought this was a tasty beverage, so it's probably unfair to call it grease. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, you can't do that to the beverage. The beverage doesn't deserve that. Yeah, it's like something that is a fake nostalgia, but yet I'm going to call it the down with love. Because I like that movie, and yet it's sort of uh, kitschy nostalgia, and yet surprisingly sweet and affecting. Yep. So that's what I'm going to call it, down with love. Okay. All right. The thing that pissed me off the most watching this movie is that, uh, wow, we just had a power outage, so... Yeah. We may have to stop for a sec, so we'll be back in a moment. Yep. So, yeah, one of the reasons I was frustrated that we spent so much time watching Beyond the Poseidon Adventure is we have, like, a three-week backlog of TV to catch up on, including two episodes of Catnip. We watched the pilot, but there's two episodes after that that we still haven't seen. Yeah, we finally got up to it. So, what did you think of the pilot, Josh? I was pretty standard fare. I mean, I like, again, like, I like... the way that they go back and forth, how it's sort of a pretty straight procedural and semi-serious in the inve- – I mean, the pilot sort of has – Some tone issues, right? Um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know, it's a standard, pretty standard um, procedural plot for the episode. They found a snitch dead, uh, an informant dead, and they want to find out who did it and over the course of – the pilot were introduced to some of the elements of this universe, uh, including a uh, rabbit-controlled rodent organized Mafia. crime outfit mm-hmm. uh, and some of his other cat police uh, that he works with. And then also to his real-life world in which we understand it's a young couple who have a, a two-year-old child and their elderly uh, – the, the husband's elderly mother also lives with them mm-hmm. uh, in the house. In the right. It's a townhome, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's freestanding. Yeah, it's like a brownstone. Right, yeah. So there's that element. So we have those folks. And the, and the, the grandmother often sort of looks at the cat, like she, looks at Mitzi like she knows that something's going on. Mm-hmm. And Mitzi is somewhat concerned that he's going to get found out by the grandmother in the course of things. And it may be a symbol. And I think what they're building to is it's either an indication of her growing dementia or that – the family is going to think that it's her growing dementia that when she starts to realize that she can see talking animals. Yeah. Well, I do like that there's like a kind of, um, you know, when he's at home with his family and with the toddler who's like, you know, doing that awkward like pat thing where they're basically just like mm-hmm. smacking the cat. But it's, you know what I mean? Like, to- mm-hmm. you ever seen toddlers around animals? Right. Like, they don't know how to play. And them. the cat was just like, oh, fuck. Oh, God damn Mitzi. It. Yeah. I Mitzi- think, again, though, this is an element of where it would have been better on Showtime if they had really been able to just go whole hog and have the cat be really sort of mean spirited and violent and foul. Well, not with the family. I like that it's a comedy with the family and that, you know, as soon as he gets out on the streets, he's like hard-boiled detective. I mean, like... Yeah, anyhow, they, they sort of... Every episode... Sergeant... That, sorry. Well, they're just going to... In the course of investigating it, it, it turns out that it was a... Um, and again, in the universe of uh, the talking animals, cans 
are some sort of collector. And I didn't understand it was it's not a currency, but they're valuable. Yeah. Or may it may just be that the the sort of bedraggled rabbit leader of uh, the rodent mob was very into the cans. I couldn't tell, but it turns out in the course of the pilot that, of course, one of the cans that they are looking to obtain is a can owned by Mitzi's family. So the tension is then brought into his home sphere. And I just wonder how they're going to be able to continue every week managing to create a threat from the one world in the other world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that might have In just... order to justify the premise? Yeah, well, I think that also might have just been a function just to get everyone into the pilot. You know, I don't think every week's going to be that. I think some weeks going to be I think it has like to be. Creature. Otherwise, the premise doesn't make any sense. I think some, some weeks are just going to be Creature of the Week, don't you think? I mean, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Anyhow, so uh, as they're investigating the crime, they discover that there's uh, been uh, some uh, – what was it? Was it Sable? It was um, – Well, they find, they find a specific uh, right. hair fiber. Right. So it was ermine hair, and there haven't been ermine in town in yeah. decades. So that was sort of a mystery. And then by the end of the episode, they've wrapped up basically everything and sort of caught one of the underlings, the head of the mob. And I don't even – I don't think we've given him a name yet. No, we've only seen his uh, his ears from behind a chair. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and, he, and we've seen sort of a carrot sticking out cigar style from oh, behind the chair. Oh, and one of the – sorry, one of the rabbit's ears is notched. Yes. So you know what I mean? Like, I mean, they're standard rabbit ears, kind of floppy, cute, but one of them is not. So you know that he's like. But we, he's sort of sacrificed up an underling uh, as the as the suspect who gets killed in a, uh, a shootout with uh, the police. And Sergeant Morris. Did we talk about Sergeant Morris? Well, we did, but I wanted to mention that Sergeant Morris is made to believe that he has shot this suspect when in reality it was an inside job and uh, the rodent mobsters killed him Killed him because they were worried he was going to talk. Right, yeah. Um, so well, all was... of those elements of the crime are wrapped up. Mm-hmm. You can tell Sergeant Morris. You, no, I was going to say, well, the, so the, the person that the mob kind of sacrifices and pins it on is actually literally a weasel. So it it makes it, I mean, it's, it's right. a little on the nose, but it works for the, because the show's already about a cat right. detective. Right, it's not like you could accuse it of going over the top. So, I will say that Sergeant Morris is a little concerned with Mitzi's catnip use but well yeah he's the only one in the department who knows yeah and he's an old friend and he made sergeant and mitzi still is still a, a, a junior detective so there's some tension there because his career has gotten a well, lot they were farther partners back in the day right. they kind of hinted at that right right and they came out yeah. of the academy together yeah um so in the course of investigating the crime all the sort of loose ends are tied up except this bit of ermine hair mm-hmm. um and as we are sort of doing a slow dolly out from behind the chair of the mob leader as he's sort of explaining that, you know, he sacrificed this guy and da da da, da we sort of see in a window across the alley mm-hmm. a svelte, I would say fetching, mm-hmm. uh, looking Lady Ermine, mm-hmm. uh, staring down the barrel of a sniper rifle at... Uh, the head of the rob- the not robot the rabbit mafia. Well, he's called the gray hair. That's all they know about. Oh, him. that's right. Is he the he's the gray hair. He's the gray hair. Yeah, and then that's boom. Episode cuts off with her staring down the sights of this rifle, which is again why I was excited to, because you know it seems like they are they're going to tread that line that a lot of genre TV does, mm-hmm. where it, it, every episode is going to have sort of a, a an episode of the week, a story of the week, but they're going to try right. and build some continuity. And I think whoever this Ermin is. 
it's going to have something to do with that continuity. Right. But I was just going to say, I feel like it's also going to kind of balance itself with like law and order type, like ripped from the headline kind of right. thing where they have a killer of the week who's that's basically it. But then at the end, they kind of, you know, hint. And again, like a but that's plot. like that's such know. the USA characters welcome formula. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, I hope they have something new to say, but we'll see. Um, yeah. So that was that. We watched the Warren Jeffs movie <laughs> with Tony Goldwyn. Wow. What did you think of that? The Lifetime Warren Jeffs one? Uh, it was very confusing for me. How's that? Uh, sexually. Because <laughs> he's lovely. Because he's really attractive, mm-hmm. but I did not need to see him screaming, uh, do you feel the Lord, the power of the Lord The power of the Lord you, inside you. While fucking a, a teenager. Yeah. that's. Um, I could have used more of that, to be entirely honest. I think uh, it was not good enough to be a good TV movie, but it wasn't I, over the top enough I to be to, interestingly over the top. I, say, I beg to differ. Did you see Tony Goldwyn in that wig? Was that a wig? I don't know. You remember when he's I like, just heard him doing the voice <laughs> that he was, and apparently I'm doing Danny Houston. <laughs> so you're doing Danny Houston uh, again. <laughs> although he might have been doing Danny Houston. I don't know. Um, but it was not over the top <laughs> enough except for, the, I mean, and we're talking about a movie with uh, simulated sister-wife teenage lesbianism Yeah. and Tony Goldman aforementioned uh, saying, can you feel the power of the Lord inside you? I just thought it kind of suffered. By the suffered. way, that's, that's a penis thing that he's... He's fucking them when he's right. happening. I think it just kind of suffered from a weird tone issue because it started off as being like a daddy. You're always saying it's a tone issue. It was. Half of the movie was Tony Goldwyn being sad because his dad like overlooked him. After Played by somebody. a really old Martin Landau. Yeah. <laughs> Son, come into my study. Yeah. Come into my study. My name's Martin Landa. Yeah. And I'm a Not woman a convincing fundamentalist. Woman. Right. Anyway, so part of it, it set him up in the Warren Jeffs as like this guy who was just like had a lot of daddy issues and like, you know, he he felt uh, turned over or whatever. Um, but then they over. just turned him into a monster. And then they just turned him as soon as he becomes the prophet. He just starts like fucking teenage girls. Yeah, which because it's a shitty Lifetime movie. Yeah. But the point is, is that there's a lot of Tony Goldwyn meat. For all the ladies out there. Right. And, um, and it's for ladies to be like, oh, I wish I was his child bride. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Oh, I'm so oh, yes, I do. These are naughty feelings. Oh. Right. Yeah, so that's that That was that. So there's that, and there's uh, Skull Bones, whatever it is, <laughs> Crossbones. I'm obsessed with this fucking show. Yeah, we watched this on Fridays with I a friend Amanda. fucking love it. The uh, John Malkovich's Blackbeard doing his, what I can only describe as... Uh, Franco-Prussian Cockney Klingon accent. Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. He does an accent like this sometimes, and I am talking, and then I am getting on the boat, and it's all over the map. It doesn't make any sense, and it's beautiful, and the show is just so very cheaply made with, like, it's... it's, I don't think it's that cheap. I mean, it's on location. It's on location, but, like, the costumes A lot of extras and a lot of sets and and stuff. I don't know. I think it looks really cheap, and it's just... It's wonderful, and I would highly recommend it for anybody who just it's wants bad. to. I think it's good. I think watch one episode to get the full effect of Malkovich um, and, getting yeah. a paycheck and just going crazy. Which, I mean, like, he's having the most fun, I think, out of everybody in the past. I mean, it can't have been that rough. You get to go to the Caribbean and act like a crazy person yeah, for they're in Puerto two Rico. weeks. Yeah. So, and, uh, but yeah, he. Uh, Ooh, Julian you Sands. See, if you ever want to see a movie where John Malkovich. Uh, John Malkovich's bald head gets acupuncture and then begins leaking blood for the rest of the episode. You have found your home. Or if you ever want to see Julian Sands, um, very interested in cartography. <laughs> or, or spontaneously crushing uh, oh my God. Uh, glassware in his hands. 
it's it's wonderful. I mean, in the sense that it's terrible. Um, it's bad. Yeah. It's really bad. Uh, I'm obsessed with. I love it. I like can't get enough. Well, good. Um, hey, as always, we would love to hear from you, uh, those eleven of you. So you can feel free to flood our email inbox. We are pntcast at gmail.com. We're at pntcast on Twitter. On Tumblr, which Kate maintains, we are pntcast.tumblr.com. Search for us on Facebook at Prefer Not To. And our web address is pntcast.wordpress.com. If you subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd love to hear about it. And we'd really like it if you write a review. It's been a couple months since we had a new review and it'd be lovely to have one. We'd like the warm touch of the internet's... Kate's saying she likes to be touched by anonymous strangers, <laughs> uh, which yeah. is why her pastime when she is not working is to ride trains in India. It's true. Um, do you have any recommendations? It's getting really expensive. Um, I have so much credit card debt buying those plane tickets to India. It is. But I can't stop. Yeah. And if they, would, if they would at least manhandle you on the airplane, you'd be getting your money's yeah, worth. Yeah, like through security. Like I keep trying to pack things in my luggage that will like, you know, single me right. out for security. Like, so like, look how big just... this shampoo bottle is. Yeah. This is like at least seven ounces of nitroglycer shampoo. Yeah, exactly. Nah, but they no, won't they won't pat you down. Mm-hmm. You're a lonely lady. Yeah. I'm sorry, kid. <laughs> you got any recommendations? <laughs> Only, um, oh, uh, well, I mean, crossbones, obviously. I read uh, John Ronson's uh, The Psychopath Test this weekend. It's very good. So I highly recommend that. Okay. All right. As always, uh, 11 or more of you, of us, uh, of you, uh, thanks for spending time with us. We really do value it, even though I was cranky this week, and I'm sorry. Uh, but we really hope you do it again next week. What are we? Uh, what are we watching next week, Josh? Ah, oh, fuck if I know. Jesus Christ! I don't All ever right. want to see a fucking movie again. No. All right. <laughs> well, anyhow. For Josh, I'm Kate. And for Kate, I'm Josh. Thank you for listening. This show is gonna be awful just because I'm all pissy. <laughs> <laughs>